Please be seated. What a joy it is to be with you on this, my first Episcopal visitation. Uh, my name is Chris, and I am the second Bishop of the Diocese of the Mid-Atlantic. I'm here with my wife, Catherine, who I think Sam will point out later, much to her chagrin. And we have three children, Anna, Caroline, and Nathan, who we love deeply and are so proud of and who love the Lord. I'm a person, most importantly, whose life has been radically altered by Jesus Christ. He gave me His life, and that has affected everything about my life. And that's what I want to talk with you about today in these next few minutes about abundance of life, abundance of life. Now, the thing that is going to happen today is that, that there's parts of me that have different roles, and they're going to battle against each other just a little bit. Uh, I don't mean anything odd by that. It's just that I'm a preacher, and I have to do confirmations and then celebrate, and those parts sometimes want to rule over the others. And so the preacher's got to share some time today uh, with the other parts of the service. And so we're just going to look at a few parts of our text today, but before we do, I want to start by saying this. I once heard Pastor Rick Edsel ask the question, how would you complete this sentence? Life is blank. Life is blank. Some of you might say life is good. Others might say life is really challenging. Some might agree with the philosopher Voltaire who said life is struggle. Others of you might agree with Forrest Gump who said life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Einstein said life is like riding a bicycle. You have to keep moving to keep your balance. The rapper Lil Wayne said life is a lot like skateboarding. That's it, no explanation. <laughs> Although I think, as a former skateboarder, I kind of understand what he's getting at. Others say life is a gamble, life is a paycheck, it's a slog to the top as you knock others aside. Life is stupid, life is meaningless, life is the weekend, life is a new dress and a bottle of champagne, life is sparkles and glitter, life is a party dude. <laughs> the question for us today is, what does Jesus have to say about life? And the answer is that He has much to say. And what's fascinating, fascinating and wildly important for us to realize is that whenever Jesus talks about life in all of its facets, whether it's what we would call real life, everyday life, our eating, drinking, playing, getting up, going to work, going to school kind of life, or if he's speaking about the kind of life that comes from God, God's life, eternal life, resurrection life, everlasting life, life that will never end. Jesus never talks about finding it out there. He always focuses the conversation uniquely on Himself. If I were to sum up His words in the Gospel of John, and life is a major theme in this Gospel. You might do a study of life. It appears about 47 times 
in John's gospel. If, if I were to sum it up, I would take the words from our gospel lesson today in which Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it in abundance or have it abundantly. And so I'm going to walk through a portion of our gospel, remembering that the preacher has to cooperate with the other parts of me today. And while we set it up, we want to understand what the context is of his preaching. The Pharisees are once again angry with Jesus. Go figure. They're angry with him because Jesus has radically and totally affected the life of a man whom he has healed physically, but it affects everything. It affects his emotions. It affects him psychologically. It affects him in relation to the people of Israel. And the Pharisees are incensed by it because the man has had the audacity to point to Jesus as the Messiah. And so they cornered Jesus. They want to know what right have you to say these things and do these things. And Jesus, in his immeasurable patience, in his kindness of heart, in his directness of approach, graciously explains to, his, to them who he is and what it is that he has come here to do. Jesus is talking about himself as being the good shepherd, and in so doing, he's drawing from the rich history of the people of God from the Old Testament. It was imagery that they got very clearly, and they understood very deeply. In verse 7, after starting out talking about the, being the good shepherd, he says, I am the door of the sheep. And he's using God language in doing so. I am the shepherd. I am the door. He's calling back to the history of the people of Israel in the way in which Almighty God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. I am that I am. I am the door of the sheep. And when a shepherd was out in the countryside seeking to find pasture for his sheep. Remember, it's not green and grassy like Virginia. It's hilly and it's desert. They would have to go often for days at a time, far out into the wilderness, into the desert, seeking to find the nourishment that their sheep so desperately needed. And because of that, they couldn't always get home at the end of the day. And so they would build enclosures, sheepfolds, pens in the wilderness, that were essentially an open space surrounded by rocks. You can still see these same kinds of enclosures outside of Jerusalem today. And the sheep would find their safety and their security inside. They were protected. They could rest through the night. They were kept free from thieves and from wolves. And the sheepfold had only one way in, one entrance, one opening by which the sheep could come in and go out. You see, there was no door, for the shepherd himself was the door. And so at night, he would lay across the opening so that nothing could come out or go in, no sheep could leave, no intruder could come in unless it went through his body. He literally was laying himself down to be the door for the sheep. When Jesus said, I am the door, he meant that through him and through him alone there is access to God. 
Through Him and through Him alone, there is access to the rest and restoration that is given to those who come to the living God. That through Him there is security and protection. There is life with God. Jesus opens the way to God. You know, I didn't grow up in the church. We were mildly connected, mostly by fear and somewhat by religion. But really, my parents had been wounded by the church, so they wanted nothing to do with it. And so, I grew up not really having a very clear understanding of who God is. The the idea of God was this vague notion, and there were always these competing voices that seemed to contradict one another. And so, to me, for the longest time, though I knew the word God, God to me was like groping in the dark. It was like trying to find your way through a house that you've not been in before, and you vaguely understand there are rooms, but you don't know where you're going and what might get in the way. In Jesus, we know what God is like. As we look to Him, we see the image of the invisible God. He is the God who has entered in in the way in which we can understanding He became one of us. And through Him, we can experience not just later, but now, what it is to have life with God and to have God's life within us, not just hallelujah when we die and go off to the sky, but now in everyday life, in the midst of who you are and what you do and where you go, you can know Him. In verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He or she, you, will never be lost. You will be protected. You will be secure. You will be saved utterly and completely and totally rescued from the destruction that every person in this world is born into. Through Jesus, you are saved from destruction. And you must understand, beloved, sheep are never meant to go alone. And neither are we ever meant to go alone. We are meant to go with the shepherd who loves us, and we are meant to go with one another in this life. He has called you. God created you. God saw you and knew you before you were born, before you did anything good, bad, or indifferent, and God said, I will have you. And He set about the cosmic rescue mission of your life and your soul. And for what reason? Jesus says, and you will go in and out and have pasture. It's a description of freedom, my friends. You see, our Our life with Jesus, our life in God is not meant to be merely a religious duty, a drudgery we must endure until some time in which we are delivered from it all. This is a Hebrew way of describing freedom to go in and to go out and to have pasture. You were meant for freedom. For freedom He has set you free. He has set you free to be secure in God, to be secure in Christ before God, knowing your shepherd's care, knowing His provision, knowing His kind heart to you and on behalf of you. And you discover when you're in Christ 
that you are God's delight because of what He gives you through His Son. You are literally the delight of God because of what God gives you through His Son. Now, this is not the world's kind of freedom that we're talking about. The world says freedom looks like all restraints off. Do whatever you please. Use your body however you want. Do with your money whatever you can. Achieve for yourself all that the people around you are seeking to achieve. After all, look out for number one. You get yours at all costs, and it doesn't matter the bodies you leave behind getting there. No, freedom in Christ is a freedom of relationship with God, to know Him and to know His voice, to understand His heart, to see His ways, and not have to do His ways, but want to do His ways because of the work He does in you and through you by the life He gives you. He gives you access to His presence, not merely as a servant, but as a daughter and as a son. Now, think for just a moment with me. When a workman, a servant, if you will, comes into my home, they are there for a specific purpose. There is a transactional nature to what we're doing. They come and do the work. I pay them and they leave. They have no right to go into my refrigerator, unless that's their job. But when my son and my daughters come in, they don't have to ask about going into the refrigerator. And they don't always put away the dishes, and I often will do it for them. And when they need my money, I generally do give it to them. <laughs> I hope they're not watching. And when they need my wisdom, it's there. And when they need me to have an ear for their cares and the challenges they face and the struggles in their relationships and what it's like to navigate life as a 20-something-year-old in a complex world, I'm there. And to the end of my days, were they ever to need it, they could always climb into my lap, as awkward as that might seem or be, because their Father's heart is for them. If in the natural, how much more with our Heavenly Father? Because we have been given access as sons and daughters through the righteousness of Jesus Christ into His presence. When your heart condemns you, and it will, know that He has given His life for you and He has made you a child of God, He has bought you at a great price. Verse 10, the thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is contrasting all that He is and does with all that the world offers, with everything else there is. And make no mistakes, there are many false paths in this world. There are many Many paths that look good but lead to destruction, there are all kinds of truths that are no truth at all because they lead not to the unique Son of God who came and died and rose again and ascended to the Father, but lead actually away from Him. They diminish Him. They lower Him. They want to make Him one among many. They are false paths and they are untruths. And there are many ways that make big promises to us in the world that always lead to death ultimately, 
oh, not always quickly. And there are so many, and there are so many ways our hearts get pulled this way and that to seek to find life apart from Jesus. I'll just name three for the sake of time. Pleasure is a way many of us seek to find life, stimulation, and there's a reason for that. You're made for pleasure. You're made to enjoy God, and you will, in Christ, enjoy God forever. You will be delighted in. You will laugh with the living Lord of glory, and He won't be laughing at you, maybe a little bit, but not, not in a cruel way. You're made for pleasure, which is why the pleasures of this world are so enticing, but Sin, which often masks itself as pleasure, always trips up. It's the law of diminishing returns. You have to do more to get that same feel. And the reason is because it creates stimulation. It creates chemical reactions. It feels good. And I'm not against pleasure in, in, as long as it's yielded under the life of God in Jesus. But boy, it's a temptation, isn't it? You ever had a hard, long day and just found yourself at that plate of cookies? Now I'm getting confessional, by the way. Or you're into that second or third glass of wine or that cocktail, or you're, you're offering your body to someone else and you're wondering, why in the world am I in this place? There's a diminishing return in pleasure. It must be yielded to the one who is all pleasure Secondly, possessions. Nothing wrong with possessions per se, but please hear this. Some of you have been gifted by God with the ability to make money. It's a gift He gave you not to build your own kingdom. He loves it. You enjoy it. But so that you might bring others into His kingdom, that you might do good works, you might bless this place and the people around here who are desperately in need, that the gospel could go out. Because here's the thing about possessions, they have a tendency to possess us. Have you ever noticed that even if your bank account goes up and your salary increases, that often your sense of peace goes down, your anxiety goes up, your worry is more, you find yourself greedy rather than generous? Possessions can be a temptation to find life outside of Christ. And the third that I'll mention is power. It's one that I think in this region and this area we have in some ways perhaps even more of a temptation toward than in other places because this is the center of our nation. This is in many ways the center of our world. And power can be a good and godly thing when rightly used, submitted to the lordship of God Almighty. But power can also corrupt. And power can cause you to yield your soul in ways that you find yourself draining out over time and wondering, who am I and what have I become? Forgetting who you are because you've given yourself to power. Do not lose your soul for these other kinds of life. Jesus says, I have come to give life and that abundantly. His life is found in Him, and His life is freely given to those who turn away from other sources of life and yield themselves to Him, who attach to Him, who become aligned with Him, 
who receive him, who trust in him, who believe in him, who receive all that he has, he has more to give you than you can possibly imagine, not least of which is the forgiveness that your soul so deeply needs to be freed from guilt and be delivered from shame. There is no shame for you in Jesus Christ. And this life that he offers, it will never end. But it's not just for later, it's for now. But catch this, and this is so important for us in the church to know, the life that he gives us is gift to each of us, but that life is meant to be given away, to be shared, to be offered, to be communicated so that others who are lost and dying apart from Jesus Christ might know this life and receive this life too. Here's the thing, every one of you in this room is a missionary, and I don't mean you're off to another country per se, but God will use you and pour His life through you in your neighborhood, in your family, in your school, in your community, in your job, if you will avail yourself to him. I have come to give you life, says the Lord, and to give it to you abundantly. Let us pray. Lord, would you free us from those loves that our hearts run toward that promise life but bring death? Would you cause us, Lord, to, to turn away from those things and to turn to you that we might be saved in every way that word affects our lives. Jesus, in so doing, would you allow us to see how beautiful you are, our crucified and resurrected Lord. And may our hearts be unfeignedly thankful as we give up ourselves to your service. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.